folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss the Southwest Division on today's podcast, including how the Nuggets are going to interact with the Southwest Division over the course of this year. Should be a lot of fun. This will be the third division preview that I've done. A couple weeks ago, I did the Northwest. Last week, I did the Southeast. This week, I'm doing the Southwest and should be interesting to get some opinions from everybody on the Southwest teams that they like this year, that they don't like this year. I think there are three teams that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in for completely different reasons, so should be a lot of fun. Ranking the Southwest Division teams right now, though, let's start with that kind of in the first segment, breaking down some of these moves I've got uh, the Dallas Mavericks, the Houston Rockets, the Memphis Grizzlies, New Orleans Pelicans, and San Antonio Spurs, obviously, in the Northwest Division, or Southwest Division, excuse me. Segment two, we're going to talk about how the Nuggets match up with each of these teams. Segment three, we'll go over some of the superlatives for the division, just like in each of the last couple of episodes. For this one, though, let's focus on each of these individual teams in this first segment. Dallas. They went 52 and 30 last year. Houston, they went 20 and 62. They were the worst team in the NBA. Memphis went 56 and 26. They had the second best record in the NBA. That's probably coming down, but you never know. New Orleans, they were 36 and 46, but they are trending up, and we're going to talk about them soon. And the San Antonio Spurs, they went 34 and 48. Only two games away, but they are trending in the complete opposite direction. And we're going to talk about why. But first, let's go over Dallas. Uh, They are, I think, the most interesting team. Actually, that's probably not true. I think New Orleans is the most interesting team. But Dallas specifically, they lost Jalen Brunson to the Knicks in free agency. They traded Christian Wood, or traded for Christian Wood. They signed JaVale McGee. That's going to be the bulk of their starting unit. They're having two bigs in their starting unit. At least that's the initial... Uh, belief coming out of the the Dallas area. You've got Christian Wood starting at the four, JaVale McGee at the five, Dorian Finney-Smith at the the three, Reggie Bullock at the two, and Luka at the one. Quite the interesting starting unit and definitely not as talented as, as one of the ones that they used for last year's playoff run, getting to the Western Conference Finals. They drafted Jaden Hardy, who was a first-round pick that fell to the second round. And they're getting back Tim Hardaway Jr. from injury. So it's not like they're completely bereft of talent. That would be, I think, disingenuous to say. But they definitely don't have as much talent as they did last year. I I just don't think they do. Jalen Brunson was a big deal for that team. He was one of the better point guards in the entire NBA. And they just kind of lost him for nothing. It's important to have point guards because one of the things that they were able to do was take some pressure off of Luka every now and then, making sure that he was ready for the playoffs, making sure that the minutes that Luka didn't play were still good minutes in the regular season. Jalen Brunson was strong in the regular season and he helped them get to that place. Now they're going to use Spencer Dinwiddie in that same capacity, and and though Spencer Dinwiddie showed some good things for the Mavericks last year, there's also some bust potential with him for sure. 
And I think that they're going to miss Jalen Brunson and just his ability to find the holes in the defense, find the right passes and right spots to shoot, and then convert at a pretty high rate. Sure, they'll get back Tim Hardaway Jr., and sure, Christian Wood will probably add to some of that offensive talent in the front court. But him and JaVale McGee, I'm not necessarily sure that improves their defense in any way, shape, or form. Reggie Bullock is a good defender. Dorian Finney-Smith is a great defender. He's actually really, really good. But forcing them to defend with Luka, Christian Wood, and JaVale McGee also on the floor, that seems like a pretty tough task. And I have to imagine that their best lineups may not even include any of those guys. Maxi Kleba was very good last year, and though he has seen some signs of regression because he's getting a little bit older, he's probably still going to be a part of their best five. And let's say you include Spencer Dinwiddie in that. Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, that's probably their best five-man unit. Which means Christian Wood, JaVale McGee, those guys aren't really a part of that. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how this Dallas team looks. I did the talent rankings and talked about that a, a couple podcasts ago, a couple articles ago on Mile High Sports. So if you're interested, make sure to check that out. Dallas came in at ninth. And so I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that they're going to regress. Now, Houston, Houston's a little bit different. They are in a very uh, different position from the Dallas Mavericks where they're drafting, uh, they drafted Jabari Smith at three. They wanted to get the top pick to go get a, probably a Chet Holmgren or Paolo Bancaro. Well, actually, no, they, they say that they wanted Jabari Smith all along, that he was number one on their board. I'm not sure if that's true. I think they really talked themselves into Paolo Bancaro at three, but that weird switcheroo happened where Orlando kind of surprised everybody by getting Paolo at the first overall pick. And it allowed Jabari Smith to drop to three, and he's a pretty good fit for what they have, along with Jalen Green, along with Alperin Shangun. They bought out John Wall, finally. They traded the aforementioned Christian Wood to Dallas for Boban, Trey Burke, and others. And they used some of that to, they drafted a couple of other guys. Like they they drafted one of the, the top point guards in the draft. The point guard definitely was a depressed position in the 2022 draft. They re-signed Jay Sean Tate, but they didn't really do much else beyond that. This was a, this was a pretty set in stone Dallas, or not, not Dallas, Houston offseason where they are rebuilding. They're rebuilding around Jalen Green and Alperin Shangun and now adding Jabari Smith to the mix. Those guys are going to play a bunch of minutes. And I have to imagine that it's going to mostly look like last year where they're giving those guys opportunities to get better, hoping that they get better pretty fast, but they're not going to win a lot of games. And that's fine for Denver. There's definitely nothing wrong with that. But when you add that much young talent to a group, the hope is to get better pretty quickly. I'm not sure if that's going to happen unless they have some surprising leaps. Maybe Jalen Green takes a big leap. Maybe Jabari Smith is better as advertised, better than advertised for his rookie season. Maybe Kevin Porter Jr. finally figures some stuff out. I'm a little bit hesitant to say that, which means they're probably going to be around where they were this last year, winning 20 games. Maybe they get up to like 25, but I'm not sure if I'd bet on it. 
for Memphis. They lost Kyle Anderson to free agency. They traded DeAnthony Melton, one of my favorite players, for an injured Danny Green and David Roddy, who's a former CSU buff, uh, not CSU buff, CSU Ram, excuse me. They also signed or they also drafted Jake Laravia, who was a pretty strong forward prospect. And they added some young talent. And it's clear that they are still going young, that they are still taking the long view, despite the fact that they won 56 games last year. Now, on one hand, that's admirable. That's definitely a thing that most franchises would love to have a long runway so that they get to continue to add talent, make sure that they are maximizing their window, which they know is not going to be right now, but it's going to be three, four, five years from now. However, John Morant is one of those explosive athletes that, along with a Zion Williamson, a Russell Westbrook, John Wall, guys like that, there's definitely a thought that his athleticism, once it kind of wears down or because he's kind of liable to injury, you want to capitalize on that window pretty soon. And with Jaron Jackson kind of being out for a while after surgery, he's probably going to be back mid-season, but don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back. And with Steven Adams assumably still starting at center, they didn't really upgrade on the wing. They have Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks, and they do have Zaire Williams, who they drafted a 10th overall in last year's draft. They've got talent. There's no question about that. The real question is whether that can convert to production in the playoffs, because in the playoffs this last year, they won a round. It was good. They won it against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that's not really something to write home about, I don't think. But they looked, actually, I'm, I'm going to say they, they looked pretty good against the Warriors when Ja was out there. But Ja missed the last three games of that series. And they went down in six games as a result. So maybe things would be different if he was healthy. That could be the story of the entire Memphis Grizzlies tenure. So maybe it's good that they're not being reactionary, but I tend to think that they should probably have been a little bit reactionary this offseason. We'll see. New Orleans, they signed Zion to a max extension, which was, I think, a big question mark for their offseason. Were they actually going to give him? max money, given that he missed the entire year. But they did. And there's some language in that contract that wants him to be at a certain body weight and a certain level of fitness. And so there's there's something there to kind of protect them a little bit. But it does seem like Zion kind of back into the swing of things after his injury. They traded for CJ McCollum last year. They still have Brandon Ingram. You start to look at that roster and it's, it's a pretty talented group. Like They may not have a tier one superstar when you talk about who you want to lead your team to a title, but they've got a lot of guys who are kind of in that next tier or maybe the next tier below that. And you just look like Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum. Don't know how that fits together, but they've got some good role players in Herb Jones and Jonas Valanciunas to really make that work. They drafted Dyson Daniels, who's also going to project to be a good role player, kind of in the mold of a Lonzo Ball type. And I think that there's just a lot of fun in this team when you surround all of those guys. 
with some great defense, with some great transition game. They're going to have some fun, and I'm, I'm really going to enjoy watching them, I think. The battles with them in Denver last year were really good, and I think they're going to be good again next year. And then San Antonio. They are in their own little group here, where along with Houston, I guess, so not really their own little group. San Antonio traded DeJounte Murray to Atlanta for three first-round picks in Danilo Gallinari. They also waived um, – oh, no, they, they waived Gallo. They drafted multiple rookies in the first round this last year for this last draft, and they extended Keldon Johnson. Didn't really replace DeJounte Murray, though, and I think you're probably looking at Trey Jones, Josh Primo, somebody in the realm of that that, that looks like a tanking point guard which I think is what they're going to do. They're, they're not tanking specifically, but they're focusing on development, which they're trying to go get Victor Wembanyama. There's no doubt about it. They're, they're looking to get the next superstar. And whether that's Wembanyama, whether that's somebody else at the top of the draft, they are hoping for another lottery ticket of which they can then build around and really try to fast track a rebuild. But they've been like 34 and 48 last year. That was not a great place for them. I think they were 11th, 10th. I think they were 10th in the Western Conference, and that's purgatory right there. There's no doubt like because they don't really have an upward momentum. But they didn't have downward momentum until they traded DeJounte Murray. So this should be a good thing for them in the long run, but it is going to be pretty painful over the course of these next couple of years, I think. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss how the Nuggets match up with each of these teams. But first, summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual fast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always, on the program. Let's discuss how the Nuggets match up with each of these Southwest teams. Denver last year, they went 10-8 and against the Southwest Division, which is pretty bad, honestly. I think based off of the teams that were in the Southwest last year, there were three teams that were sub-500, two teams that were above 500. And Denver probably should have had a better record than 10 and 8 since Denver was 48 and 34. But they went 10 and 8, and there was definitely some calls for improvement on that particular record. This is a good opportunity for Denver, I think, to really improve upon last year's record based off of these specific matchups. Some notable wins that Denver had uh, they had a blowout win over Dallas in the fifth game of the season. Uh, Denver won that game by 30 plus, and I think everybody looked pretty good. Even Michael Porter was starting to look pretty good. 
They had an overtime win at New Orleans pretty early in the season where Jokic had 39-11-11 on 17 of 23 shooting. They had a win versus Houston. Boogie started in place of Jokic and dominated. That was pretty interesting. They had another OT win versus New Orleans. This was the the epic Jokic 46-12-11 game. He also had three steals and four blocks, and he had 30 points in the fourth quarter and overtime. Just completely took it over. Larry Nance called it the best game he's ever seen before in his life, which is pretty high praise. And then you had the 2000-1500 game against Memphis, second to last game of the season. That was quite the spectacle itself. Notable losses. Denver had those back-to-back losses against Memphis early in the season. MPJ was still playing. You knew that Memphis was going to be good at that point because that was just not like the way that they played those games was very professional. It was very meticulous. And they had some mistakes here or there, but Memphis just looked like the better team, which was, I think, borne out over the course of that season. You had a January 3rd loss to Dallas. Uh, Jokic had just three assists in that game when Denver went six of 25 from three. I think that was the game. Like, I think Faku started that game. Will Barton had seven turnovers. That was the game you knew. This just wasn't the year. This wasn't the, the year for everybody to really get focused on Denver. And then another loss to New Orleans at home. Letting Herb Jones go off for 25 points. Jackson Hayes went 100% from the field, nine of nine. The starters were completely helpless, hapless defensively, and it was something to behold because I thought the bench, despite the fact that they didn't shoot the ball well, they played reasonably well, and this was the starters letting Denver down, and they just could not do a damn thing against the New Orleans Pelicans, and all of those games have been pretty competitive against New Orleans over those last couple years. Now, How does Denver match up with each of these individual teams now? We'll focus on Dallas first. Matchups is going to probably be as follows. We've got Aaron Gordon on Luka Doncic, the right matchup size-wise. Michael Porter on Christian Wood. Nikola Jokic on JaVale McGee. I think that makes the most sense. Dallas is going to score a lot in those cases, but they're not going to be able to stop Denver either. Uh, Murray will have to defend probably Reggie Bullock. And KCP will probably defend Dorian Finney-Smith. That's not a big deal. Like Those guys are off-ball guys. Not really have to worry about the size mismatches there. But for Luka Doncic and Aaron Gordon, that's really going to define what this looks like. Dallas will probably try to defend switches or generate switches with Luka being guarded instead by MPJ or Jokic or Murray and try to take advantage of those individual matchups instead. But Denver has their own matchup issues against Dallas. Dorian Finney-Smith is a good defender, but he probably has to defend MPJ in these situations because of the size concerns. You've got Reggie Bullock guarding Jamal Murray, Luka Doncic on KCP, Wood on Aaron Gordon, and JaVale McGee on Nikola Jokic. Even if it was Christian Wood guarding Nikola Jokic, that would not be great. So I I have to imagine that that's going to really define this matchup. That last year against Dallas, Jokic was constantly faced with double teams. And 
Denver couldn't really make them pay from the three-point line because they just didn't have the floor spacing. They didn't have the quality shooters. I think KCP, Michael Porter, and Jamal Murray, that is going to completely change that feeling. Denver's going to have games where they have 15 threes, 18 threes, 20 threes, because Jokic is generating so much gravity from the post or from the middle of the floor, and he gets to kick it out to a wide-open three-point shooter. Denver has better shooters now to kind of take advantage of that. So Dallas is going to feel that. They're definitely going to have to face that for sure. The key matchup here is going to be Jokic versus Luka. Two young superstars, of course. Those guys controlling the NBA over the course of the next decade or so. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I think if Luka can get the better of Jokic in these matchups, then I think Dallas has a chance. If Jokic gets the better of Luka, that's a really good sign for Denver. Houston now. uh, This one feels pretty straightforward. You have everybody guarding their own position as opposed to cross-matching. Jamal Murray guards Kevin Porter Jr., KCP guards Jalen Green, MPJ on Jayshon Tate, Aaron Gordon on Jabari Smith, and Jokic on Alperun Sangoon. This feels like a pretty easy matchup for Denver, as long as they take it seriously, as long as they try to deliver some pain. Because when those matchups are reversed, you've got Kevin Porter Jr. guarding Murray, you've got Jayshon Tate guarding Michael Porter, You've got a rookie in Jabari Smith guarding Aaron Gordon and, of course, Shangun guarding Jokic. There is just not a lot to like about what Houston can do defensively against the Nuggets. They just don't have the personnel. Eric Gordon will be off the bench for them. He'll be a very important piece, of course, but that's just not enough. Like They just don't have the other personnel to really help out against Denver. Now, maybe they play Boban in those matchups and try to just get things a little bit weird. But I sort of suspect that Houston is just going to take this year as a developmental year again, which means they're going to have a lot of their young guys just kind of go through the lumps a little bit. That bodes pretty well for Denver. Houston will be feisty at times because of their young talent, but this is a matchup I think that Denver just needs to sweep. And if Jamal Murray plays better than Jalen Green in these matchups. Let's say they've both got 25 points, but Murray does it on 15 shots and Jalen Green does it on 22. Advantage Denver. Now Memphis, you got uh, KCP on John Morant, Jamal Murray on Desmond Bain, Aaron Gordon on Dylan Brooks, Michael Porter Jr. on, I guess, Brandon Clark. I'm not really sure who's going to play the four for Memphis while Jaron Jackson is out. And then Jokic on Adams, obviously. This is a matchup where having Bruce Brown is going to be helpful because you've got Bain and Brooks, which means that Aaron Gordon's going to have to guard one of those guys unless he guards Ja. And I have to imagine that Bruce Brown, if he replaces, let's say it's Porter, then Aaron Gordon moves to guarding the four. And Bruce Brown might even be the guy that guards Ja. He's the athlete, he's the younger player between him and KCP, and it would make a lot of sense for him to be the focus in those matchups because he's pretty agile. But we're going to see. 
Denver's just going to probably struggle to contain Ja, but Memphis, they will probably have even more trouble on the other end guarding Denver because Jokic has had Adams' number in most of these matchups for a while. And then last year, obviously, they took advantage of what was an injured Michael Porter at the time, but also not having Jamal Murray. Dylan Brooks will probably have to guard Jamal Murray in these cases, which means that Desmond Bain probably guards Michael Porter. John Morant guards KCP. It's not a great matchup for Memphis anymore, but it's going to be a great matchup for both teams offensively. So I'm very curious to see which team kind of blinks first here. Brooks, he'll probably like to harass Murray with the physicality. We'll see how Murray can deal with that coming off of the injury. Desmond Bain probably tries to get under Michael Porter as a shooter, but Michael Porter has shown the propensity to just shoot over those guys and make those shots. So if he can do that consistently, this is a matchup that I think Denver could surprisingly dominate. But in a likelihood that just like nothing ever really works out that way. So I'm just going to assume that this is a season split. That if they play four games, Memphis will win two, Denver will win two. Denver has to make it at least a split this year because they were 0-3 at one point against Memphis last year until the 2000-1500 game in which Memphis didn't play jaw. So we're going to see. We're going to see how they react. Both, Both of these teams, like this should be a game, at least one of these should be on national TV. Would be a lot of fun. Another really fun matchup, New Orleans. KCP guards CJ McCollum. Jamal Murray guards Herb Jones. Michael Porter guards Brandon Ingram, I guess. Aaron Gordon guards Zion. And Jokic guards Jonas Valanciunas. This is probably the single toughest positional matchup for Denver in the entire league. Which is not great. Like, Jokic has to guard JV. Having Aaron Gordon guard JV would make no sense. And having Jokic guard Zion would also make no sense. So those matchups, those are smart. Those are understandable. The top three guys, though, the point guard, shooting guard, small forward, you could probably mix and match those in a variety of different ways. You could put MPJ on Herb Jones and just have the other two guys and Murray on CJ and KCP guarding Brandon Ingram. That might be more technically sound. But KCP is also about four inches shorter than Brandon Ingram, so not necessarily the greatest matchup for him size-wise. So the best thing for Denver would be if MPJ is just ready to go. He's guarded Brandon Ingram pretty well in some previous matchups, so it's not like he can't do it. But coming off of his injury, I'm just not sure what he's going to look like. So very curious to see how that matchup pans out. Also, the Aaron Gordon and Zion matchup, that's entirely theoretical because we actually haven't seen it with Aaron Gordon in a Nuggets uniform. So that should be pretty fun. Those guys are very physical. Uh, they have like they both play just very physical brands of basketball. And Aaron Gordon's probably one of the only forwards in the entire NBA that Zion can't just like throw out of the way. So we'll see if that actually uh, holds some merit. On the other side, Herb Jones probably guards Jamal Murray. Ingram probably guards MPJ, which isn't really an advantage for Denver. Like They can hide CJ on KCP, and they can hide Zion on Aaron Gordon, and 
Like you're still going to have Jokic on Jonas Valanciunas or Jonas Valanciunas on Jokic, so that's probably where the the actual advantage comes from. But positionally, it feels like New Orleans almost has an advantage here. So I am very curious to see what that looks like. Uh, New Orleans, they've played Denver close. Three of the four games last year were pretty close. So I think this is probably a split. 2-2. Maybe it's 2-1 if they only play three games. But it wouldn't surprise me if New Orleans just was the one team that had Denver's number this year. We'll see. And then finally, San Antonio. Who starts a point guard for them? It's it's still the biggest question. Murray will guard the point guard, whoever it is, whether it's Josh Primo, Trey Jones, whoever. KCP guards Devin Vassell. Aaron Gordon guards Kelton Johnson. Assuming Doug McDermott starts, that's the guy who MPJ will guard. And then Jokic will guard Jakob Pertl. This should probably be a sweep. Unlike the previous two matchups where you could really make the case in a variety of other ways, The Spurs, though they have surprised Denver at times because of their execution, they just do not have the talent to really match up. Pirtle does a credible job on Jokic, but he's mostly outmatched. Murray should also have a mismatch himself with whatever happens. Maybe Vassell guards him, and maybe that's a a matchup that gives him some trouble because of Vassell's length, but I also don't really think that will happen. Like I think that Murray should feel pretty good about this matchup. MPJ also should have some big-time opportunities. Whether he's guarded by Kelton Johnson or Doug McDermott, he should feel pretty good about this. It probably should be a sweep, but also probably won't be. So my guess is, let's say they play four games, this is a 3-1. This is a classic 3-1 where the Spurs surprise Denver in one of those games. Okay, last year Denver, they went 10-8 and against the Southwest. This year, I'm predicting 14 and 4. If I assume that they play 18 games against this division, maybe it's 13 and 5, maybe it's 12 and 6, but I think if they go 14 and 4, if they just kept everything else the same, which I think is reasonable, then they're up to 52 wins on the season. That's pretty good. That already gets you the over on what you believed would happen uh, or what actually happened last year without Murray and MPJ. So 14 and 4 against this division would be pretty good. All right, let's take a final break. When we come back, we are going to go through Southwest superlatives. We'll be right back. Back, pick, action, and roll, final segment. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's wrap up here really quick with some quick superlatives. We've done this for each of the other two divisions. I think this is a good opportunity to talk. Which of these teams is going to be the best team? Because I think you can make a credible case for three of them, right? With Memphis, with Dallas, and now with New Orleans in kind of a surprising twist. I think if you're talking about who the top four teams are in the West, you've got Denver, you've got Phoenix, you've got the Clippers, you've got the Warriors. Three of those teams are in the Pacific. Denver's in the Northwest. The Southwest might have the fifth best team, 
Maybe they have a team that has a higher record than that, but would not surprise me if any of those three teams could be the fifth seed in the in the West, and we'll just have to see what that looks like. But I think I would still bet on the Memphis Grizzlies to figure it out. Last year, they had some injury issues with Ja Morant, and they still were able to win 56 games, the second most in the NBA. Whether that happens or not, again, remains to be seen, but I can't exactly bet on Dallas right now without Jalen Brunson. Can't exactly bet on New Orleans, who won 36 games last year. Maybe I should bet on New Orleans. I think they have a credible case. They probably have the most amount of talent in this division. I'm I'm definitely a little bit more worried about them than I am about Memphis in a series or Dallas in a series, actually. So I think this is a very close call, but I think Memphis probably takes it. Jaron Jackson, assumably, be back in like December or so. And if he is, then he probably plays at least 40 games. They have a good enough team and a good enough foundation with the rest of their group that they can make that work. They draft really well. They fill out their rotation with a lot of depth. They should be able to survive his injury. I still think they win 50 games. And maybe New Orleans wins 48, Dallas wins 48, something around there. But it's all going to be pretty close. The only reason I'm giving Dallas any credit here is because they have the best player in the division, Luka Doncic. Undoubtedly the best player in this division. Ja has shown some things at various points. He's he's definitely, he might be the most electric player in the division because of the highlights that he generates, but also kind of the energy that he brings to the court. But Luka's better. Like, I think their matchups over the course of these last couple of years have really proven that too. Luka and the Mavericks generally dominate the Grizzlies. And it's pretty funny, actually. But it also, I think it stands to reason that maybe Zion could be a part of this conversation at some point, but Luca's a legit top five player. Like, he might be six, but he he's in that class, and Ja just isn't there yet. Zion obviously isn't there yet. Nobody else really has a case. I go Luca. Best prospect? This is a hard one because there, there aren't great prospects here. I think Jalen Green... Kind of has the most Devin Booker energy, I think. Jabari Smith was the top pick from this year's draft. Maybe he's a guy who really breaks out. But the only other guy that really comes to mind is Herb Jones, which is nuts because he was, what, the 40th pick or so in the 2021 draft? He's kind of off the beaten track and has immediately proven himself to be one of the best defensive players in the entire league at one of the most valuable positions in the league on the wing, six foot seven, completely versatile, probably can't guard fives, but can guard one through four just about as well as anybody in the league. And he just makes these highlight plays that are a lot of fun. So as his offense continues to grow, would not surprise me if he became the best prospect, which that is insane. Most likely team for Denver to face in the playoffs. I said Dallas because I just kind of believe that they're going to be in that 6-7 range. Memphis, I can see at 5, maybe 4. I think Denver's just going to win a lot of games this year. Probably like 54, 56 games. So I'd imagine that Denver 
probably faces a six or seven seed, maybe an eight seed in the playoffs this upcoming season, which means you got to project somebody who's around there. I'm going to go with Dallas, but you could also talk about Memphis. You could also talk about New Orleans because I think any of those teams has a credible argument for being in that conversation. And all of those matchups will be pretty fun. Like you have Jokic, who's the best player of that group, but Luka can definitely push him at times. John Morant, how do the Nuggets stop John Morant? How do the Nuggets stop Zion Williamson? There's definitely some questions if Denver were to get into a playoff series against each of those teams. So I am looking forward to Denver's playoff run this upcoming year. They have to answer a lot of questions, and hopefully they do find those answers. That would suck if they didn't, but I still think that Dallas is the team that Denver's most likely to face in the playoffs because of Luka. Now you've got the best bets for year-end awards. Luka for MVP, probably the best bet. If he gets that team to a top six seed, kind of like what Jokic did for Denver last year, if he gets them to kind of the same tier, 48 wins, completely carrying the team, they don't necessarily have another top-tier player on their squad. They've got some good role players, but if Luka kind of elevates himself into that tier where he's just dominating people, consistently and epically dominating, he is the favorite to win MVP this year, I'm pretty sure. He hasn't done it yet, but it wouldn't surprise anybody, right? Jabari Smith for Rookie of the Year, also a pretty good nod. Jalen Green, maybe for Most Improved Player. He seems like the the kind of guy in his second season, if he were to go from, I think he was averaging like 17 points per game this last year. If he goes to like 24 or 25 and just looks like a different player, maybe he gets up to that place too. But no real great bets in this category. There's no like under the radar really solid bets here. You've got Jabari Smith, who's a top three pick. He's obviously not going to get great odds for rookie of the year. Luka for MVP is the front runner, so not going to get great odds there. Maybe Ja for MVP. Maybe, uh, I don't know, Herb Jones for defensive player. That's actually probably the one. Herb Jones for defensive player of the year. That's one where people could definitely think that could do something for sure. But we'll see. We will see what this looks like at the end of the season. But for now, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Friday, I'm going to have a discussion with Drew Creaseman of Mile High Sports. We're going to go over the Rockies, but we're also going to do some fun things, too. I think we're going to talk about movies. I think we're going to do some... Um, Some fun movie discussion should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon.